and welcome to the Rock Lives Here podcast. I'm your host, Scott Smith. If you've been tuning into Rock Lives Here Radio, then thank you very much. I really appreciate the support. You'll really find these podcast episodes a great way to catch any chats that you might have missed with all the great artists that are featured on Rock Lives Here. If you're new to Rock Lives Here, then head on over to rocklivesheer.com.au to stream the best thing you've never heard in rock radio here in Australia. You can also download the app via Google or Apple App Store. Also, definitely keep up to date by subscribing to the Rock Lives Here mailing list and following Rock Lives Here on all the usual social media channels. All the links for those in the show notes below and over at rocklivesheer.com.au. Well, March 3rd is a date to mark in your calendars if you're a fan of Rose Tattoo, for that's the release date of new album Outlaws. Outlaws is an album that sees the current lineup of Rose Tattoo getting to leave their recorded imprint in the Rose Tattoo legacy. It's a re-recording of that iconic debut album, Rock and Roll Outlaw, along with the addition of three tracks that were originally demoed but never made the final cut. Now, if you've seen Rose Tattoo recently, then you're already well aware that Angry has assembled a lineup that includes some of the best in the business. If you haven't seen them recently, then that lineup includes legendary bass player Mark Evans of ACDC fame, iconic guitarist Bob Spencer from Finch, Skyhooks and the Angels, the Pete Wells-endorsed Die Pritchard, on slide and Jackie Barnes, son of Jimmy, keeping time on drums. Now, this chat with Angry is one that you don't want to miss if you're a fan of Rose Tattoo. Angry digs deep into his memory bank to talk all things that first album, writing those songs, recording it, working with legendary George Young and Harry Vander. And he also gets a pretty raw and candid and honest insight at times into those early volatile days of one of the most influential rock bands to have existed on the planet. So I now present to you my chat with Angry Anderson. March 3rd is a pretty significant date. You're releasing Outlaws, which is obviously going to be a, you know awesome album to have out there. And uh, reading, reading the uh, sort of the press release and sort of getting a sense of that, obviously, you know, recording, recording these songs and having this release was obviously a pretty, pretty big thing for you to have the current lineup to, I guess, get their chance to, um, you know, sort of put their imprint on, uh, on some recording, so to speak. It, um, we, we came up with it as an idea, mainly to commemorate, and we missed out by a couple of years, obviously, but to commemorate the 40th anniversary of, of, the, of the first album. And, and the thing about it was was that um, we've, ch- we've chosen three bonus tracks to include. So this album was recorded by this lineup, but it's a re-record of the original songs. Because this, this lineup has gone back to the original lineup's uh, propensity to, uh, to, to jam through songs. So as this lineup has made their own mark on those old, old songs, um, we've, we've brought back that element. So in this recording, there's a couple of tracks, guitar players, well, the band uh, jams around the, the, the two guitar players jamming guitar-wise. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a, 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 it's sort of like a, a tip of the hat to the old days because the original band being, you know, built on, on um, the foundation of being a traditional blues band, you know, we, we like to jam... The guitar players like to jam in the within the context of the song. So, having said that, you, you know you, you create an arrangement on a recorded product, and then, um, like you know, like all the great jazz, blues, 
bands of um, you know you you on the night you're spontaneously able to uh, to jam or, or being able to record at least three of the bonus tracks. They are bonus tracks on this album, but they recorded as you know in the same session. So there's a, a, a continuity in the sounds, um, and they so they sound as if they were recorded originally for the for the album anyway, and and they were. There was a bunch of songs that we had in the early days um, that uh, were consider- considered um, not not as um, well. They didn't make the cut of the first album, so George and Harry didn't consider them strong enough. But three songs that they did uh, consider strong enough uh, are now featured on the album, which is Snow Queen, Sweet Love Rock and Roll, and um, the the ballad, if you like, or the love song. Yeah. That I co-wrote with with um, with Ian was um, I thought that that would be if there was going to be a softer track, I, I thought that um, it, it would be on the album. Um, we really didn't think that there was going to be a love song on the album, but what made it onto the album was a jam, which is of course is stuck on you, mm, which is yeah. um, quirky. But George and Harry were quite. What it illustrates is that they weren't, particularly when it came to to Tats, which is one of the reasons I think that they had such bright hopes for the Tats, and and, uh, disappointingly that never came to fruition, was that here here they had a band that was able to experiment. um, You know, ACDC, the Angels, had a formula, um, I, I think, to a lesser degree, uh, choir boys, uh, certainly um, uh, Ted Murray had a, you know, they, they wrote, as they did for John Paul Young, exclusively in a pop format um, um. Uh, to create, you know, beautifully crafted pop songs. But uh, one of the things that um, we spoke about in, 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 in a couple of years before George died um, was that he, he saw, he and Harry thought that we could be a very uh, musically very broad based band where we could go from sort of like traditional blues into gospel into soul um, uh, you know that those kind of things and I, I think because I asked him you know one stage I said you know, and I asked Harry recently Harry popped in to oversee the recording of this re-record of the first album because we did it at Harry's studios and um, of course, he came down um, uh, just to sit in and, and throw his two bobs worth in, which he, you know, that's what he, that's what he did. That's well, always what he did. So we were, you know, we were thrilled a bit that he came down and and suggested a, a few things, like arrangements wise, because that's where part of the strength of George and Harry was. Was there? They both had different ideas about. Arrangements and about uh, you know nuances and stuff in in um, and and so they collaborated beautifully together. Actually, having Harry sitting in on the the re-recordings as well would have putting a, a you know a different slant on things again. Having you know having Harry involved in in the re-recordings as well. So yeah, well it was a beautiful it was a, it was beautiful because he came down on a couple of different occasions and um, came down with uh, uh, you know with his misses and. Um, the good thing about it was, you know, Harry. Harry's not well mm-hmm. um, in a in a sense that he's um, he's had health problems for a while. So it was a bit, it was a wonderful 
we, you know, we didn't expect him to come down because, you know, because of those health problems. But he came down anyway, and and the missus sort of said, "Oh, you know, there was no way down. I was going to keep him at home while you guys were in the studio." <laughs> and um, it, so it was beautiful in that application, but it really was. Uh, it was great because it took us back to those early, early days. Because I mean, in, in all honesty, I don't remember too much about the early recording because you know, I mean, we, we were drinking a lot, <laughs> consuming a lot of, you know. Uh, chemicals and yeah. stuff, and uh, as everyone was in those days, so yeah. the intricacies were lost on us. But I remember, you know, like some of the songs. Um, um, I remember how how, how excited and having having uh, spoken to George only a, uh, like a year or so before he died. Uh, he was in Sydney visiting, and we caught up, and that that brought back a lot of memories. But having Harry actually there did yes, and. It, and it brought back some of the the excitement that we all felt um, during that initial, uh, you know, recording of those. Particularly when we just demoed the songs and things like Butcher and Fast Eddie, and you know, um, I didn't want to abbreviate the song in any way. And mm. I said to George, um, you know, this really has to be because you know it's a long song and. Um, he said, "No, no, no, no." He said, "This is this is extraordinary. It's it's um, like uh, it was a first for him to have such a a story told, but yeah. you know, like it with a repetitive riff." Um, and uh, you know, it, it was recorded in about half a dozen takes, and and um, mainly to do with the lyrical because we did the lyric live to um, to the track, and. Um, yeah, there were moments like that that were quite extraordinary. Um, the memories that came back, and 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 you know, the memories were sort of like mixed. I mean, obviously, you know, um, we went in there as a as the original lineup, and during the recording was when Ian decided to to leave, and so that was, you know, that was a that was a, a real moment for mm. us. It was a blow. I mean, there's no. No doubt that, but th- but then again, uh, the album wouldn't have ended up the way it was. Um, one of the one of one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that Ian left um, was because he didn't think that um, uh, there was enough of the other material that didn't make the cut. He yeah, didn't okay. think that yeah. there was um, enough of that on the album. But that was only one of the reasons. He was already headed off in a different direction by those days anyway. So we wouldn't have ended up with the album that we ended up with had he stayed. Um, mm. So all, th- you know, pertaining to, you know, the absolute truth that, that uh, nothing is wasted, everything is useful, um, everything happens for a reason. But was there a song that you gained uh, more of an appreciation for now, having, having, I guess, the benefit of re-recording it that you maybe didn't quite appreciate as much early on? The three tracks, The three tracks that made it, was our three tracks that I've always loved of, yeah. of, of Ian's, um, um, "Sweet Love Rock and Roll," which is just you know like, and 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 so is "Snow Queen," as they're full on rockers, and and I love that because we were very very much into that Rolling Stones sort of rhythmic uh, boogie sort of thing, mm. uh, which we still are, of course. To um, but anyway, having said that, that the song that we collaborated on, I. I wanted to be on the first album, but um, Stuck On You made the cut, which is still, 
to this day, I shake my head and kind of, you know, we went with the wisdom. We said to George and Aaron, because Stuck On You was, you know, it, it was a jam. And that's yeah. why the um, the verses are nonsensical and mm. um, only the chorus is, is the real, you know, that's the anchor. And I was going to go away and write proper love song choruses and George said... <laughs> Well, like, you know, like, what, there's nothing wrong with what you've got. And I said, mate, that was just off the top of my head. You know, mm. like, it's ridiculous. I mean, your fish name, Sam, please, you know, like, <laughs> um, do I want to be remembered for that? No. But, um, but Rosetta, which is the song that I'm talking about, which has made the cut on this one, and, it, and it's turned out to be, uh, you know, as a recording, um, I, I, I kind of heard it as, as acoustic, more acoustic sort of, but um, it's come up really, really nice. So I'm very, very happy with it. Yeah, and Sweet Love Rock and Roll, as you mentioned there before, when I heard that, and I'm like, wow, how, how was that song not on the album? As you said, just, you know, just that real, real great rock and roll vibe, as you said, a bit of, you know, a bit of the stones and that, that, yeah, you know, fits fits so great now. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I'm the same with both of them, with Sweet Love and Snowy. And I mean, no criticism to George and Harry, but mm. I kind of... You know, I get Remedy, um, I think, you know, Wally, Nice Boys. I mean, all there. I mean, Pete Wells' track, which was TV. Um, uh, Manzel, which uh, I think that was another one of, of Pete's. I remember uh, talking to um, uh, Murray Englehart about, historically about, and I mean, uh, the, the album is is accredited to the band, like the songwriting. Yeah. But um, Geordie Leach wrote, uh, I wrote Rock and Roll Outlaw with Geordie. So he came up with the riff and I said, look, I've got this lyric because I think we realised at that time, I think George had already sort of said, well, bad boy, we've got to work that up into a more of a pop format um, because that's a single. Mm. And, and so we wanted to write a song that, it was really more the, the band's song because Bad Boy for Love wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not really who the tats are. Um, uh, grateful for the fact that it was such a good hit, a big hit. But mm. um, So we wrote Outlaw and I remember we were in the studio and, and I, I brought this lyric in. I had, you know, like books of lyrics and um, and I said, what about this one, you know, Rock and Roll Outlaw? And I said, yeah, well, lyrically it's fucking great, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, um, they just started, started having a jam and Geordie came up with the riff and boom, 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 uh, we had the song. Um, because the majority of the songs, you know, like the Nice Boys and the and all that, um, Mick uh, wrote all that stuff with me, mm. uh, even though that there's a, a credit on the album uh, to, to, you know, like names everybody in the band as the writers. Well, that, you know, that was a way of just sort of, um, it, you know, like it was a solidarity thing, you know, and it was a way of, of um, we knew we weren't, we didn't anticipate that we were going to make a huge amount of money out of the first album. Um, so it was a way of sort of spreading the wealth, I suppose. But uh, in reality, um, you know, like most bands, I mean, it's certain people in the band are responsible for the songs. Well, Mick and I were always um, the songwriters. I mean, you know, we, we pretty much wrote, um, 80%, if not 90% of Assault and Battery. Um, and uh, well, well, when it came to Scarred, of course, Mick wasn't around. So we, Robin and I wrote predominantly most of Scarred for Life. Whereas, mm. 
and then and then when Mick, Mick came back for um, the Blood Brothers, um, you know, again he and I are responsible for most of the songs. So, but anyway, um, yeah, I'm I'm really really happy. Um, I, I don't know why it was, it was there. You know, as the producers, um, we went. We had the utmost faith faith in them to, um, and I think that what, I think what they wanted to do in retrospect, when you look at it, it's, um, it, it's cohesive in a sense as far as a you know a set of songs because when we play it as a set on stage, which is what we're doing to promote you know the the re-recording, we play the thirteen songs as a set and then we add uh, other songs on at the end, but. Initially, you know, the, the bulk of the set is that album, not arranged in the track order that's on the album, but we arrange it, you know, to suit a live performance. But it is that album, the 13 tracks. Now that I think about it, you're right. I've, I've always wondered to myself why didn't uh, Sweet Love Rock and Roll or Snow Queen. I mean, I, I, see, I love Snowy. I think, you know, I was I was with Ian when, when he, um, Mick and I were living sharing a house with Ian and his family when, when he sort of wrote those songs. So I was sort of there while it was happening. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing and, you know, 40 plus years on, but I guess just the, the other rock and roll bands that have come on since then, you know, the likes of Guns N' Roses and, you know, Aerosmith and Motley Crue and, you know, all the bands that have drawn influence from Rose Tattoo over the years. But, you know, I, I think it's remarkable, I guess, given how obviously much of a struggle it was for Rose Tattoo early on to actually get recognised and to even, you know, get close to being signed or, you know, someone appreciating what the band was all about. Even more remarkable when we look back now. Um, considering those tough early days? You know, I mean, one of these days, someone will write the definitive book. Um, hopefully we're all dead by then. But, um, <laughs> well, you know, like, I, I wouldn't mind being around just to, just to watch the expression on people's faces. But the reason that we've re- oh, I've resisted that in recent times, because being the only surviving member, um, is that there's a few key people that were around then and they... they they could be hurt by what what could be written about, you know. Like if you want the whole truth and nothing but the truth and the whole ugly truth, then that's the way it should be. But you know, to be completely honest, and I mean, you know, what's the sense in not being completely honest about anything in life, life itself, general? Mm. It, 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 the band was like just the volatility of the band was was due. In the same way to the classic lineups that we've, you know, that we've learned, you know, like it's the dysfunction of the band. I mean, the band on a personal level was like really dysfunctional as people. Um, you know, there was heroin addicts in the band. There was, you know, everyone was like ragingly dependent on 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 alcohol and powders, and and uh, we we. Mm, we spent some time together, um, always right from the very beginning, and this was true. We spent some time together socially, but we had our own circles of friends, and we, and it was kind of like being away from one another in in a real sense, and mm. was almost like a, a it was a relief because when we were together, it was like it was like. And I didn't realise it then, but I've, you know, as you said, retrospectively, or, you know, looking back is a great luxury. But it, it, the whole time was like a pressure cooker situation. We were, 
And, and when we were on stage together, I mean, apart from the fact that that made it all worthwhile, but see, we didn't have to deal with one another as people on stage. We had to deal with one another as the other members of the band. And we, we worked so well on stage as a band and, and we were, we fed off one another and it was like, you know, like the sex made up for everything sort of thing because like, and that was, you know, cause when you're on stage, it's like that. It's mm-hmm. like the intensity is like having sex. Um, but apart from that, we were, were quite volatile in one another's company. I mean, it, it, it Otherwise, we would have, you know, like we would have like some bands, we would have like lived in one another's pockets. We never did that. We we loved one another passionately, but it was kind of like it was almost like it was too intense, too passionate. Um, and, and and I found that. Um, oh, here we go, wax lyrical now. <laughs> I found that in. In some relationships, I mean, you got, you got. If you're still single at my age, you've got to realise. Well, it's got something to do with me. But um, I think there are some relationships that tear themselves apart because they just are. It's all about passion, mm. and it's all about the, the recklessness of, of of giving in to to that passion and 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 it, it, it being like such a like an explosive. Uh, situation that it, that it eventually tears itself apart. I think that's very true of um, you know like uh, you you love relationships, um, particularly when you're younger and you don't know any better. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. You know the other dynamic as well. You know, there's the thing of like attracting like. You know, if you're all very similar minded um, as opposed to being different. You know, the different personalities. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, I've said that ad nauseum in the last twenty years, particularly when I do public speaking, and they, you know, they want me, they obviously want to know the history, and they want to talk about the band, etc. The five of us, the original five of us, and even to a point with Geordie, not so much Geordie. He he enjoyed um, a pretty good lifestyle as a kid growing up. He had very stable parents and and all that kind of stuff, but. The rest of us were train wrecks. I mean, there, there were many nights, and, and particularly when we were, you know, we were coming home and we were screamingly drunk, or we were out, something had happened, and we'd fall on one another, and we'd just be howling with, you know, tears and sobbing, and because we used to talk about in those unguarded moments, um, you know, our childhoods. We all had a similar, a similar childhood. Mm. We all, we all came from. Uh, dysfunctional parents, um, you know, uh, there was a certain amount of abuse involved. Um, so yeah, we 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 were all scarred um, in one way or the other. I mean, how many people aren't? But one of the things that drew us together it, it was just that is, you know, because you you do it's a real it's a real thing that you put out energy and and that energy is is attracts and is attracted. So it's it's no surprise to me that we actually all ended up in a band together because there were other offerings for all of us at the time. So it was a natural process that, that you know, the, the five originals and then, of course, after violence left, Geordie came in. But it's no surprise to me now, looking back on it, that we actually ended up in a band and that we actually wrote and played and recorded the mm. music that we did yeah. because... That's who we were. It, there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of 
darkness. There was a lot of uh, anger. There was a lot of uh, a lot of things that had to be. You know, it, it's like when we played on stage. I mean, those performances, apparently, from what I'm told, were really, really violent, um, physically and emotionally. And and there was, you know, there was this thing that the band had, and 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 it was a way of it was therapy for all of us. Mm-hmm. We didn't realise it at the time, but it was our, it was us, you know, getting rid of the. The pain, so to speak. And look, I know you have another uh, another interview um, coming up in in a couple of minutes. But uh, what's great is you get to take those songs, and I guess the legacy of Rose Tattoo. I see you've got a very busy schedule ahead. What March, Europe, April, Australia, May, USA. Well, you're up on it. You're all over it. Yep, all over it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 very exciting for us because um, it, it's a real roll. We, once we get rolling, we like particularly with this outfit because unlike the early band this this band is is it's it's a different band in in every respect or aspect the thing about it is is that uh, we travel well together and 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 there's you know like there's a real camaraderie there's a real and that, that that pertains back to the early days too because like I said we loved one another passionately then those days and we do with this lineup but there isn't the dysfunction there isn't the distraction of drugs and alcohol there's just this playing music every night and to play most nights of the week out of three months is is a joy but um next year of course we've got there's bigger plans coming up hopefully we get to go back to america but we certainly uh got some big plans for europe next year but and and hopefully i'm i'm really really keeping my fingers crossed that it comes up with We'll have a new album of new songs out next year. Excellent. Lots to look forward to. And I look forward to uh, catching the band in April at one of the Under, under the Southern Stars shows. So, Sweet, uh, yeah. yeah. Cracking lineup. It's, yeah. It could be it could be a lot of fun, that one. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks, Angry. Thanks for your time. Um, have a great uh, few months touring. And, yeah, we'll chat again soon. No workers, brother. Well, if you want to check out more cool chats, then head on over to rocklivesheer.com.au for all the past episodes. Would also love it if you shared this episode with your fellow rock-loving fans, whether they be here in Australia or around the world. Don't stop believing, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.